I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about sling and stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. And the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Pelizzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on YouTube. It's a very special show. We've got the director of the Reese Senior Bowl, Jim Nagy, on the line, as they say. On hold, right? On hold. Yeah. He's just waiting for us. Do we have good hold music? I, I don't know. But what I was going to say, no banter today. Okay. We can't waste any time. We're going to get right to Jim. So we're going to start by reminding you that the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. You're buying your first home, you're planning to start a family, you're wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. You got anything else you want to say in the intro? No, no, no. We're getting right into it. We're right into it. All right. Well, let's bring, let's bring in Jim Nagy, as I mentioned, the director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. Jim, welcome to the show. Morning, guys. So we appreciate having you here, and um, what we've been really interested in doing is getting you know people that uh, know the draft inside and out and having just a good a good discussion, maybe some stuff that they're not going to hear anywhere else. So uh, let's start with you, with with Sam. Your theory. You have a Senior Bowl theory. We could start with that and yeah. then get into some of the mechanics of, of everything that Jim's doing down there. I mean, anyone that listens... I can't wait to hear this. It's not it's not that exciting. He's building it up way more than it deserves to be. I, for years, anyone that listens to this podcast knows that one of my favorite sort of data points or, or just pieces of information about prospects pre-draft is I think it's a really important thing when guys dominate at the senior bowl if you go to an all-star setting and you show up and you look obviously better than the people you're going up against that has to be a really good sign that you're going to be a good player in the nfl when the competition steps up when everybody is an all-star so as an impartial uh you know party in all this what's your take on that yeah yeah i'm i'm so unbiased on this one (laughs) um no, I think there there is a lot to that. Uh, honestly, just you know, going back to my time in the NFL, I always put a lot of emphasis on on the All Star games, and and, and yeah, it, it's good on good, uh, which you get for it, you know, on college tape, but not all the time. And especially, you know, you see some of some of the guys that are the biggest risers coming out of out of Senior Bowl week are the, are the small school players, um, where they get an opportunity to kind of shine against the Big Ten guys and the SEC guys, but. But even more importantly than like, you know, the physical stuff that comes through uh, during the week, to me, it's the guys that are, they're making a statement, right? Especially some of these guys that are being projected to go up high before the senior bowl, you know, guys that are talked about being late first round picks, mid first round picks, um, early second round picks. I'm sure they have people in their ear telling them, you know, Hey, why don't you just like play it safe, you know, protect, you know, your position right now. And and, and if you're an early second round pick, so be it, that's great. Uh, but again, and there's so many great takeaways. You guys are down there every year. Um, you get inside the drills, you're down in the field and you see how guys respond, the body language, facial expressions. So, you know, stuff you can't take off the tape. I think that's what the teams are all looking for is the stuff they can't see on the college tape. And, and again, there's so many great takeaways when you're down there and in the mix, um, like you guys are every year that, that really help, that really help, can, can really help a player. 
how, how do you weigh all that stuff, either as a scout, general evaluator, as a general manager? How do you weigh all of that, right? Because I know a lot of our listeners, uh, and I've been of this mind before, it's like, the tape's the tape, trust the tape, right? I mean, you've got, uh, you know, 40 games for some players, 12 games for other players, right? You have so much data in what you see on film. How do you weigh everything that happens after the season between the all-star games the combine and all the interviews how does that get weighed in the entire process yeah so much information steve i mean that's how do you filter all this information and all these data points like you're like you're talking about um i'll say this i I know you know just talking to guys in the league right now what they're really trying to drill down on um probably even more so the last couple years and in the past is is which guys truly love football um, you know, they're worried about, you know, just the, the dedication, the competitiveness part. We're seeing guys, you know, the portal, the portal um, aspect of college football right now. And again, it's been great for some players, right? It's the opportunities great. I don't think anyone bemoans the portal process, you know, but for some of these guys that are kind of bouncing every year, you, you question, you know, like, does this guy really want to stick it out and compete? Um, so I think those are some of the takeaways right now. Um, as we work through the all-star games and the combine and the pro days, um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the one of the buzzwords on the road this year in the past couple of years has been like the a la carte workout. You're seeing guys kind of pick and choose what they're good at. I, I might be good in the jumps, but not so good in the shuttles. So I'll do the jumps and I, I won't do the shuttles. Um, so it's the guys that really go through the entire process, whether it be all star games and not just the practice week, but playing in the actual game. Um, I think we saw more of that this year from senior bowl all the way down to hula bowl. Um, guys just not participating on game day. And, you know, and then on pro days and combine, like, who's doing all this stuff? Um, you know, I'm hearing more and more from GMs that they're really weighing that more heavily this year. How is the, uh, has the landscape changing at the moment with the transfer portal, with, you know, COVID through a, a wrench into the works where we got a ton of guys staying back for that extra year? Um, are you seeing kind of a difference in the number, the talent, the, the sort of level of guys that are staying for their senior, senior, senior seasons, maybe because, you know, they had to, they spent, like Matt Landers is an interesting guy this year from Arkansas, right? Because he was buried on Georgia's depth chart for a while, then had to go to Toledo, Arkansas. You, I think you, you seem to be getting now more of these guys who can eventually find an opportunity to, to show up and play and, and have a good season. But it might take a while, and you might get more of these guys sort of hanging around for a senior season and and still being really good at the end of it. I think it's had it's had a positive effect, um, you know, on these players on on the pre-draft process on the senior bowl. I'll speak specifically to our game. I mean, it's it's keeping guys in. You know, there was a, it, you know before 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 NIL, um, a lot of guys were making questionable decisions on whether to stay in school or leave based on a lot of family needs stuff let's face it a lot of these guys are coming from family circumstances where they just need to help you know mom and dad you know keep the water going or lights on and even if you're getting 10 grand in nil money or 15 grand whatever whatever it might be that might be enough to keep you in school so i think that has increased the numbers um you know going into the first couple years here at the senior bowl we'd go into the fall with about 500 names on the board um through the covid year that that swelled up to 700 um, so we're dealing with a bigger number now that that went down a little bit it went down a little bit this year so I think we're getting back to normal that way a little bit um, but I do I think it's I think it's had a positive net effect the hardest part guys um, and you and you know this is is tracking these players um, and, and knowing where they're going to go I mean even in the coaching uh, like the quarterback carousel this year 
I was just on the on the phone with a coach at Florida uh, this morning, and he told me that Graham Mertz from Wisconsin is in Gainesville now. I, I totally lost that one. I, I didn't I didn't realize he was uh, Graham had made his way to, to Gainesville. So, as a Gators um, fan, just I'm fully tracking aware. Tracking the players and knowing where they are right now that's a yeah. that's a huge challenge. And that's, you know, road scouts and everybody that's, you know, trying to go to a school, you know, in the spring and all that stuff. Who Trying to keep track of who you're even looking at. Um, right. You mentioned your process a little bit, right? You start with 500 players on the board. How do you even get it to 500? There's literally 1,000, you know, over 1,000 eligible players, uh, way more than that when you think about all levels. How do you find your, your you know, the couple D2 prospects that show up every now and again? So what does it look like? For you, you only work like three days a year, right? Just when the when the you just only work in January, right? That's it. When when uh, everybody comes down to the Senior Bowl, what does that whole process look like? Whittling down the players in the game. Yeah, yeah. We you know we we have this game every year in January, and then it's you know we pack it up and, and chill out for the rest of the year. Just do uh, podcasts, great game. Yeah. No, so we started. We're, we're we've been on the 2024 class since um, probably around Christmas time. You know, once we had our roster pretty much set. Um, there was no sense spinning our wheels and, and re rewatching these guys for this year. So um, our in-house scouting staff has moved, moved on, um, started watching 2024. We're almost wrapped up with all the power five guys. And, and what they'll do is they'll just start with a depth chart and start working the two deep and watching all the guys, the returning starters, the returning role players, if they were a third receiver, third corner, um, some sort of sub package player. And then for the, the lower level guys, the FCS and, and D2s, we'll start with all American and all conference lists. And that'll, you know, we'll, we'll get we'll get jumping on that in May and June. And and really for the small school guys, I mean, honestly, a lot of it just comes from our, our contacts in the NFL. You know, we've had we've had a couple D three players um over the last couple of years. Quinn Miners, everyone remembers Quinn and his, his big belly hanging out of his jersey from Wisconsin <laughs> Whitewater a couple of years ago. And then the year before that, we had Ben Bart from St. John's in Minnesota. I mean, there is no way that we would uncover division three players, you know, here working out of our office in Mobile, Alabama, if it, if it weren't for an NFL scout, giving us a heads up. Now we need to watch the tape and make the evaluation. But um, so that, that's kind of how it all comes together. And it's a long process. And then in the fall, we bring in our, our area scouts that we hire, you know, guys that get let go in the NFL hiring, hiring, firing cycle here coming up after the draft. Um, so it is, it's year round, but right now we're kind of in that mode where we're, we're really kind of setting the initial board. I think we have 400 names. We haven't moved the board over yet. We got to take all the tags down, um, but we're ready to put up the 2024 guys here soon. So I see you've got a uh, Hen and Hooker jersey hanging above you there, in, in your uh, your little Reese's Senior Bowl studio, um, which is very nice, by the way. It's it's outshining <laughs> our studio here. Um, what do you make of his stock seems to be soaring right now i saw lance zerline um had a, a mock draft that had him high not maybe the most recent one somebody mike tannenbaum your buddy steve had a, a mock with him going five, five. to the yeah. seahawks like his stock seems to be going through the roof and we've talked before in this podcast about just the difficulty projecting play from that kind of offense that kind of extreme college type of offense to the nfl where the asks are just so different, right? So it's not that we don't, it's not that we know definitively that he can't do X, Y, and Z. It's that it's, there's a huge question mark there relative to some of these other guys. So how do you project guys like that from that offense? And how important is things like, you know, the senior bowl experience where practice and the environment is different. You get to see them, you know, exposed to the sort of, to more X's and O's, to, to just different things. 
Yeah, I'll try not to be too long-winded on this one, but there's a lot to lot to <laughs> dig into with that with that question. I'll I'll say this for Hendon's sake, I hope he's rising, man. I really do. Um, he, he's an awesome young man. I uh, had a chance to be around him a little bit last summer at the Manning camp. Then went up to Knoxville in August, and, and uh, Coach Heupel had me speak to the team and spend a little time there. And uh, we made an exception this year, man. Like we don't want to get in the habit of bringing injured players to the Senior Bowl. I don't think that's good for business at all. Uh, but Hendon to me was a special case. He was. He earned it. You know, he, he was kind of one of the faces of college football this year. He, he was playing great, would have been in New York for the Heisman had he not had the ACL. Um, and then the quarterback position itself, I just think, lends itself more to the interview process and in the in the meeting room time. I think he, I thought he really could have helped himself there. Um, so I hope he is. You know, you look back at last year and and man, there was, you know, everyone's got like mock draft you know, 47.0s by the time we get to the draft. But there was a you know, pretty notable um, draft prognosticator last year that came out with his last possible mock draft had uh, had Malik Willis going number two to the Detroit Lions and, and he ended up going in the third round. So we don't know. We don't know. I, I hope for Hendon. Um, I will say this. Yeah, it, it, it is a bit of a, a difficult projection from that offense. And I'll carry that over even to like Jalen Hyatt. Um, you know, we're trying to circle the wagons here internally and watch some of these you know, juniors that are being ranked really high. He's a tough eval, man. I mean, yeah. you, you don't get to see him do a lot of NFL carryover stuff. So um, to me, the benefit of Senior Bowl week, and, and not specifically to Tennessee, but to a lot of these players is that they're asked to do something here that maybe they weren't asked to do in college, right? So I think that, you know, the transfer portal has is, is been huge for the players, but there's almost a transfer portal system going on in with the coaches right now. Like these, these, these players are all getting recruited to go to a school. And then two years later, the coach is gone and a new guy comes in and the player probably doesn't even fit that system. So, um, you know, a, a, an example I, I like to use is Jalen Petrie last year from Baylor, the safety, you know, when he was at Baylor, he was used as kind of a, a low, low overhang player. That's why he had 17 and a half tackles for loss or whatever he was. He's always, you know, darting in off the edge. And then he comes to Senior Bowl week, and he's playing from depth. He's playing off the hash. You see him in man coverage. So it really helps clean up that, that evaluation. That's why I was I was really – it would have been great for him to be healthy this year and go through the week at the Senior Bowl and, and run a more pro-style system. Uh, but back to your original question, I don't know if he's rising or not. I hope he is. Um, I do think it makes sense for teams to trade up for a quarterback and get that fifth year. Uh, when I was with the Seahawks, we were on the clock, and – and uh, John Schneider made a trade with with the Vikings, and they moved back in and took Teddy Bridgewater, and, and we got out of the first round that year, and to get that fifth year for Teddy. So um, again, I hope it happens for Hendon. That'd be awesome. Yeah, a couple of the stats that we've used uh, to describe Hendon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt here. Uh, Hendon Hooker, because we track everything here, um, 15 times he's had to get to his second read. He actually started on one side of the field and then worked to the other side of the field. The offense simply doesn't. It, it doesn't mean he can't do it. This, the offense right. simply doesn't ask you to do it. And the offense does such a good job of creating the one-on-ones on the front side, you throw the one-on-one, right? And then Jalen Hyatt's the beneficiary of those one-on-ones. He's faced press coverage about 67 times, I think was the number, where most other corner uh, receivers are over 200 in their career. So it's just things that you're going to see at the NFL level that you haven't seen in, in college. And it's, it, it does make for the projections really difficult. Uh, Staying on the quarterback theme at the Senior Bowl, though, how much is the challenge learning the system within a day, right, and then going out to practice and all that? Because there's so much precision needed between quarterbacks and receivers and all that stuff. How have you seen 
the quarterbacks who have gone on to have success at the NFL pick up the system and just have success at the Senior Bowl and that you know show that they can learn a system, get on the same page, and just do it quickly? Because I think that's a challenge as well. Really good question. I think a lot of people overlook that. No, it's it's a challenge for these guys. I mean, learning. I, I'll even bring it to this. Um, I think it was my my first year here at the Senior Bowl. It was, it was the year Daniel Jones and Gardner Minshew were in the game. I remember Minshew texting me on player arrival night, and he wanted to get the cell phone numbers of all the centers just so they could go down in the player lounge and work on under center snaps. That's great. So I mean, there's there's a lot of different levels to it. Um, yeah, of course, they're they're paired back playbooks. I mean, we're, I, I should go upstairs and grab one. I could show you how they. I mean, they're they're not. It's not like a voluminous playbook by any stretch. But but still, there's a lot of learning to be done and, and getting in a huddle and, and spitting out verbiage. Again, bringing it back to that first year, I remember John Gruden, and I think everyone knows what that West Coast system w- with John, what it was all about. I mean, it was tons. And and Daniel Jones struggled those first two days. Man, I was worried about him. I mean, just get getting the calls out. Um, what we try to try to stress to these quarterbacks is like, man, the league is going to be patient with you. Like, just get better every day, which Daniel did, you know, and he, he was MVP in the game and, you know, whatever. And, and, and they went on to say they drafted him because of his senior bowl performance and all that. But but so there is there, there's a ton on the quarterbacks. Um, but in getting on the same page with the receivers, all that it's it's a challenge. But the guys that can navigate it and again, one last story. I mean, I think Mac Jones is probably the guy that did it best. I mean, you, he was the first. He was the first guy, maybe the only guy that we've had that on day one he came out. The ball was coming out on time. Like he knew where to go with it. There was no indecision. Um, he has probably stood out above all the other guys in the last five years we've had that that really got it on day one. What do you make of this uh, Mac Jones talk the last couple of days that there is you know tension there in New England um, that they might be looking to trade him that. Like, I think the, originally it was Chris Sims maybe had the report during the season that he'd kind of gone outside the building, right, to try and find just input from anybody. Like, hey, how can we make this thing better? And the report at the moment at least is that that's had lingering effects. But where do you think he is based off the first few years of his career? And, like, what does is, what is the outlook look like for him going forward? Well, you know, you look at what he did coming up that first year. What did they go? Ten and seven, made the playoffs with, uh, you know, if you look across the league, that roster two years ago was was probably an average roster. Um, if we're comparing it a, a, a league wide, it's probably a middle of the pack roster. So, as a rookie quarterback to come in and do that, man, that's impressive. Um, like, I don't know if you know. Of course, we all get this time of year. We all get caught up in the tools and what guys look like throwing the ball. Like, you know that that was never Max thing. Um, but Max thing is playing it from the neck up and, and, and did so many good things. So you always want to see that develop development year one, year two. I think that's everyone knows the conventional you know logic there is, you know, every player, regardless of position, usually makes that biggest jump year one, year two. Well, well, he didn't have that. He didn't have that. So you can understand why Mac would be frustrated. I don't know what's going on in that building at all. Uh, leaving, leaving, I try to leave these guys alone around draft time. And I have seen those reports, but you could understand why Matt could be frustrated. I mean, he's going from a situation where I think every player would want to build year one to year two, stay in the same systems, continuity, all those things. And then they bring in guys that haven't even coached on that side of the ball who are good football coaches, but don't have any, you know, play calling experience, whatnot. So you can understand the frustration. I'm just happy for Mac that now he's getting Bill O'Brien and there's going to be familiarity and uh, hopefully he can get back on track because after that, after that first year, I don't care. Any rookie quarterback winning ten games, man, that's impressive. I want to, I want to get. Well, we'll stick with the quarterbacks for one more question, and then we'll get into some other positions. But um, two guys who did not end up going to the Senior Bowl: Stetson Bennett from Georgia, 
Will Levis from Kentucky. What are your thoughts on uh, Stetson Bennett, you know, who had this incredible college career, and then a guy like Will Levis, who I think is starting to become a little polarizing and you know, is he going to be the, the one of the top four that ends up dropping in the first round, or do teams still love him? What are your thoughts on those two QBs? Yeah, you know, Will was an easy guy for us. Uh, didn't even really watch a lot of senior tape on him. You know, it's one of those things, once you once you know you want a guy for, for an all-star game, like, why spin your wheels and keep watching all the tape? So, uh, didn't even watch a lot of this year's stuff. Had to go back a, a few weeks ago and watch some of the 2022 stuff on him. Um, you know, it's probably what everyone else says. I mean, if you buy into Will Levis, you buy into the tools. You buy into the upside and the in the arm power, and you know he's a pretty good guy. He's an above average athlete. You're buying into all that stuff now. Where I think you have to be careful, and I, I've seen this a lot, even going back to last summer, um, was the Josh Allen comparison. You know, I mean, Josh put it all together, and I think that people had questions, you know, about Josh and, and could the accuracy come around and, and those things. Now, and it did, but I, I wouldn't. I mean, he's a little bit of an outlier that way, and I wouldn't be comparing players to to an outlier. I'd be careful there. And then with Stetson, man, like, you know, going through the fall, uh, even when we did our calls with the 32 teams back in November, um, teams had mostly free agent grades on Stetson. And then when we had a couple things happen, like when we didn't get Will Levis, Will was kind of playing it by ear with his foot injury. And then we get to January and he and his reps were like, Jimmy's just not going to be healthy enough to go. We had a spot open up. So circle back, wanted to hit teams back up. Hey, what are your thoughts on him now after this college football playoff run? And, and now it was sixes and sevens. He had worked himself up into a draftable range, um, you know, and then everything happened after the season and the tragedy there at Athens. So I'm not, I'm not judging Stetson. You know, I think it would have helped him to come down here and interview with teams and, and be around, be around the league and show off his arm. Cause I think he's a, I think he's a better athlete than he gets credit for. I think he's got a better arm than he gets credit for. Um, so, I mean, I really think he, he should have come and showed that, but again, there was a lot going on there in Athens and, and um, I wish him the best moving forward. He feels like a guy that, like, I think a lot of people quite like his tape more than maybe they think they would. I mean, I, I told you that I kind of knew going in that I was going to end up liking his tape and, and did. But I've talked to other people who really like him as a potential. You know, obviously, he's unlikely to be a starter down the line just based off where he's likely to get taken. But I think there's a lot of people that are really coming around to loving Stetson Bennett's tape. He plays the position well, man. I mean, that's, again, we're, we all get caught up in the in the tools and the traits right now. But, I mean, bottom line is the quarterbacks, do they play the position well with 21 other moving parts on the field? And and he does. He's got He's got really good instincts. Again, he throws well on the move. He's got a better arm than he gets credit for. I actually thought he would run a little better at the combine. I Talking to the guys yeah. at Georgia, I thought he might be in the four fives. I think he ran four sevens. And he didn't even look like he was really trying on that 40. There was no strength like to him. jogging. He plays faster than that. He runs away from DBs on tape. So does he have enough to be a really, you know, a good career backup player? I do. I, I do. I think he, you know, he makes good decisions. He understands that system. Um, so I'm with you. The tape's better. Again, I, th I think everything about him is better than he probably gets credit for. That was our conspiracy theory, that he, he deliberately tanked the 40 because he didn't want to get labeled as, you know, one of those jewel threat type of quarterbacks. Our, didn't want to be Rich Gannon. Didn't want to be... Uh, our former colleague, yeah. Zach Robinson, right? That's what he did. He tanked yeah. his, deliberately tanked his 40 and only ran like a 4-6-something because he didn't want to, he didn't want to be seen as that, you know, athletic dual threat running quarterback. They were saying on the combine broadcast too. They're like, "Watch, Stetson's gonna run fast." And yeah. It's like, "Oh no, he didn't do it." And it yeah, but I he think, really did look like he was jogging. Yeah, he's like, "No, I'm a quarterback." He really. Did. I didn't know you guys had that conspiracy theory, but I, I'm kind of buying into it. Yeah.
All right, so I have one. I have one follow up because Jim, you've been you've been scouting for for many years, right? And from a quarterback perspective, how, did you get caught up? Was how have you evolved your quarterback evaluations through the years? It felt like there was a big lull in the big toolsy quarterbacks working out for a while. The the, the projects haven't worked out for a while. And then, so whatever you think of Patrick Mahomes, was he a project? I mean, there was things to work on. He's gotten better, obviously. Uh, Josh Allen, who you already mentioned. Um, I would even say a guy like Justin Herbert, who maybe leveled off in college and then you know took steps forward in the NFL. How have you seen the big toolsy quarterbacks uh, evolve a little bit? And are, are we seeing more of those types hit you know, than what we've seen through the years? Yeah, I, I don't know if we're seeing more hit, but I, I do think all these guys seem to be transitioning. I, again, I've done no studies on this, but they seem to be transitioning better. Um, and, and again, I, I, I know that there's no such thing as trickling up, but I think the NFL is pulling some more college concepts. I think you're seeing yeah. younger coaches influx into the NFL, being more open-minded. Um, I mean, look at NFL, just look at the NFL coaching uh, rosters right now. And when I got into the league 25 years ago, I mean, you had a lot of 60 and 70 year old coaches. You don't see that any, anymore. Um, so maybe you had guys that were a little more set in their ways. Now we're seeing a lot of guys in their twenties and their thirties in coordinator and head coaching roles. So it seems like they're a little more open to pulling concepts from college and making that transition easier. And I, I think, you know, I mean, Lamar Jackson's a great example. I, I think coaches are just doing a better job of playing to player strengths, if that makes any sense Definitely. than trying to, you know, for ramrod a, a quarterback into a specific system, I think we're, I think we're seeing you know smarter coaching. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if I don't know if there's if that makes any sense. But that's kind of why I, that's kind of where I see the thing going. I just think they're they're using these guys better. No, I think that definitely makes sense. So I, I always reference the newspaper headline from like 2003 or four when it said Michael Vick will run the West Coast offense. Yeah, and it's like oh no, <laughs> that's. Uh, Maybe not the best idea. <laughs> yeah, teams are so much better now, I think, at using unusual skill set players than they used to be. Um, I want to talk about wide receivers for a little bit because it's a strange class overall in that, you know, you hear a lot, there's no Jamar Chase in this draft class as if that's a reasonable bar to set in the first place. But it feels like maybe the top guys are not necessarily um, maybe as good as, as a lot of other classes, but... I think there's a ton of strength and depth. And as soon as you get into the second, third round, there's all sorts of guys that I find myself liking, a lot of whom seem to have been at the Senior Bowl. Um, Tank Dell was my number four wide receiver when we did our, our rankings. I really love Jonathan Mingo as well, Michael Wilson. Like a ton of these guys, I think, ended up having really, really impressive tape and yet are generally on the consensus board lower down than, than some of the other players. Yeah, I think what happens um, inevitably with some of the underclassmen, again, it sounds biased. I, I work for the Senior Bowl. I, I get it. But I just think with some of these underclassmen, they come out. And because they come out, there's just this assumption that they are the top guys at their position. And so for me, it's a little different. I don't get to watch these guys in, until, you know, I don't, I don't watch them until the, we get through the Senior Bowl. And then the narrative's already been set. Like when I worked in the NFL, I, I, wa I wasn't on social media. I didn't have a Twitter account. You know, you try to block out all the noise, you make your email for yourself. And then, you know, once you once you have a firm opinion on a player, then it's OK to see what else is out there. Um, but because of this job, I mean, you guys know I kind of live on Twitter, unfortunately. <laughs> and uh, and and so I, I know the narrative on these players. And then when I go to watch some of them, I'm like, man, I can't believe this guy's been being talked about as first round or first round pick. And I, I think there's a there's a there's a lot of examples in this year's wide receiver class of that. 
Um, yeah, and I think we you named three from our game. And I would add Jaden Reed from Michigan State. That's another guy that I don't think is being talked about enough. Again, you from an NFL's perspective, the Mingos, the Tank Dells, um, you know, all these guys that Michael Wilson, I thought, had an unbelievable week. I think he's very underrated. Yeah. Um, they've seen it, right? They've seen him against press coverage. They've seen him against some of the best corners in this draft class. They've seen him at the top of routes. Um, they've seen the play strength. They've seen all this. So what you're trying to do as a staff is just erase the blind projection. And, Steve, you hit it on it earlier. Like, it, it really becomes a projection. So if you haven't seen it, we used to call those blind projections. So that's what the All-Star Game process can do is just eliminate that, wipe that out, you know. You, you, you think Cody Mount can play center? Well, then he comes down in, in Mobile and plays center and looks good at it. Okay, well, now we, we know he can do it. Um, so, yeah, this receiver class, I do. I, I think that the meat of this class, I think you're going to get a lot of really good number three and number four receivers out of this year's draft in those third and fourth round areas, maybe maybe even the second. Um, I think there's a lot of twos, threes, and fours. I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's any number ones. Uh, do you think uh, guys like Jonathan Mingo and uh, Michael Wilson are going to get bumped up because so many of the top receivers are a little bit undersized? A lot of the fr even fringe first rounders, I'm, I would call Zay Flowers maybe fringe first, Josh Downs. Um, you mentioned Sam Tank Dell is your number four wide receiver. You might be higher on Dell than anyone else. These guys are all smaller. Is that going to help Mingo and Wilson You know, for teams that are looking for a little bit more physicality on the outside? I think so. I, I definitely think so. And like, you know, Tank was whatever he was here, 166 pounds or 163 pounds, whatever he was. So I, I'll say this. I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth here now. But, you know, with the smaller receivers, it's not like it used to be 15, 20 years ago. Like when I got into this thing, you, you needed guys that, that could hold up physically and, and, you know, work the middle of the field. And like the Troy Browns, my, going back to my time in New England, the Troy Browns, the West Welkers, like you need – you, you don't need to have that level of substance and physicality. You need some of it, um, but you don't need as much. It's more of a space game to protect those players. So I get that part of it. But when you're looking at this year's class and you got a Jonathan Mingo who's 220 some pounds, 200 low 220s, and a guy that's in the 160s or, you know, the Zay Flowers and the Jordan Addisons and those guys are, you know, in the 170s, that's a 50 pound difference. Um, and I'll never forget this. Like when I, when I first got into scouting, um, you know, one of the mantras was it's a big man's game. And I, I don't think teams steer, you know, get a, get too far away from that. It's, it truly is a big man's game. So, yeah, I think Mingo is a guy that when you talk to wide receivers coaches, I, I may try to make a, a point on this in a post last week. You talk to receivers coaches around the league. He's kind of the guy right now that they're all they're They're all pushing for. And then Michael Wilson's another guy because he's a bigger guy. And then both of those two guys are interviewing off the charts. And that's the, that's the hard part for what we do right now yeah. is that we're not privy to the interviews and, and the board work. So we don't know how these guys are coming across from like a football intelligence yeah. standpoint. That's, those are two <laughs> guys that I know specifically that, that have really helped themselves on the interview part of it. Yeah, I, I really like Mingo. I think he's a massively underrated guy. I think the point you bring up is good, though, that it's definitely not what it used to be in terms of needing that size and physicality. But – we're the last couple of years in particular we've reached this point now where we're almost testing the extreme boundaries of that size stuff right like uh Devante smith i think was the first guy really to come along like i'm 166 pounds and that's it i'm not going to try and put on 15 pounds of fake weight before the combine or before the draft i play at 166 and that's what it's going to be and by the way i won the heisman doing that so it's fine right and that was kind of the first like stake in the ground or just saying look this this is the weight um but people are still I, it's still going to scare people away so 
what I'm really looking for is back me up. Why is Tank Dell going to be good despite being 160 something? Uh, I, I love Tank too. I'll say just getting back to the Devontae point because I've seen this. Devontae Smith is exceedingly better than any receiver in this draft. Yes. Let's just let's just go there. We yeah. talk about outlier like he's an outlier as well. We talk about Josh Allen being an outlier. Definitely. Let's not compare guys in the 160s and 170s to to Devontae Smith. His tape was ridiculous. Um I mean that that dude was he was different now. Um but I think Tank's going to be successful um because of the route running. I mean he he's so quick off the line. He's got a great release package so he's going to be hard to get your hands on. And then at the top of the route, he's so dang good, um, and he catches it clean, and he transitions, you know, run the catch really well. So he's just a really, really skilled player. Um, you know, to me, just in terms of skill level, like I think Jordan Addison is a really skilled wide receiver and a real natural and instinctive wide receiver, but I just think there's another level of dynamicism, you know, dynamic ability, if you will. I, didn't, I think I might have just made up a word there, dynamic, dynamicism. Um, <laughs> That's how I say but it. But Tank is different. Yeah. When you put on the tape, the twitch, the suddenness, he's, he's just uh, he, he's borderline special that way. So uh, I do. I think he's going to be a really good slot receiver for whoever, you know, kind of rolls the dice and, and takes a 165-pound guy. Jim, I, that's how I say it. I, I try to say dynamism. I, I try to say it something like that, and mm-hmm. then Sam always corrects me and says it's it's dynamism or something. Like, is that right? I'm just going to stop you making up words, yeah. I Because I, I'm trying to say dynamic, and then you have to add a mism to it. It's a, it's a tough one. Um, you had this tweet showing Tank Dell with the, uh, the scissors release. I don't know if we can get it up on the screen quick enough, but um, we, the Senior Bowl one-on-ones, the, you know, I know uh, – are, are you like uh, – are you like a dad that you, you can't root for your, you know, for one kid over the other? You know, senior bowl one on ones, they're all your they're all your children, right? So if a DB gets burnt or something like that, we don't want to trash him. But you have to highlight when Tank Dell makes the cornerbacks, you know, kind of look bad like he did at the senior bowl. He had some unbelievable one on one reps. And I think that was I mean, I know that's all you want. That's all you want to see, right? To dominate the senior bowl and uh, they have your heart. But Tank was unbelievable at some of those one on ones. Yeah, he was, and and I, I do try to be careful with some of the stuff that I post. But I think one of them was against Darius Rush. Or my, the, I, I posted something on Mingo the other day, and he just got he caught Darius Rush flat footed and and and, and oh, made yeah. uh, made Rush look bad. But I've also posted some clips of Rush who had an, an awesome week as well, where he was really dialed in and had some great coverage plays. But yeah, I I, I, I try to be careful on. Uh, who, who I'm showing getting beat, that's for sure. We're talking corners tomorrow. Darius Rush had, yeah, he had one of the best and worst reps I think I saw at the Senior Bowl. He had a, the rough <laughs> one that you mentioned, but he had that one where he ran the comeback route for the receiver to pick it off, yeah. which was, it didn't look like a skill that Darius Rush has uh, on tape. Although he's more of like a press, you know, press man type of guy, but it was it was awesome. Uh, we'll talk about him tomorrow, though. Um let me let me let me jump in real quick. I know we I don't know how how pressed for time we are. No, no, no. we have all day, like, man. We have all day. <laughs> we we go for hours here. Like back to the junior thing, and and I think juniors just getting that you know just kind of a bump. You know, like they come out early. We just kind of assume. I think there's two players, two two cases in this draft where you look at the same team in the same position. Cedric Tillman was our number one receiver, senior receiver on our board in the off season. Um, I think he's a better player than Jalen Hyatt. I don't, and I don't see anyone projecting him to go higher than Jalen Hyatt. That's the same team. And then if you look at the South Carolina secondary, you got Cam Smith, who's in, you know, a lot of people's mock first round drafts. Derek, guys, Darius Rush is a 6'2 corner 
you know, with 33 inch arms that ran four, three, six was the fastest player yep. at the senior bowl and, and blanketed people all week. And I'm not seeing him go to like the third round. So I don't know. Those are just, those, those are, that just popped in my head. Those are two cases from, from the junior senior split on the same team at the same position group. Like, are we sure we're getting that right in the I, process right I, now? Tune in tomorrow in our for our quarterback rankings. I will have Darius. I will give the proper Darius Rush love on tomorrow's show. I do think it's really – it is a really difficult thing to sort of take yourself out. That's why the, the thing you were saying when you were with the Seahawks and you were kind of in your own bubble, right, outside of the social media world, you didn't have that outside stuff coming in until after you already had – a good kind of firm grasp on these guys that I, I like the way we do it where, or I do it personally, where I don't watch a ton of college football until we get to the draft. And then I kind of come with these guys with almost a completely blank slate, but it is very difficult to kind of strip out. Well, I know that this guy's being talked about as a really high pick. So there's gotta be something there. Right. And you, when you watch the tape, you're like, I just, I don't see it. Or another guy where you think, I don't understand why, like Mingo was the first one. We were like, I don't understand why he's not in this conversation with the top guys, but I know he isn't. So how high can I put him up my rankings without people just going, oh, that's just idiotic. Now you're just deliberately no, trolling just do it. for just clicks. Do it. Put Mingo at three, man. Just put him, <laughs> put him higher than high than everybody. Just do it. So here, here's an interesting point. I, I love to tell you the guys in the league talk about this. Like everyone rips the NFL for missing on, you know, whatever that percentage is, half the first round picks bust, right? Or whatever, you know, people rip on NFL teams for busting on first round picks. Right. If you look at the mock drafts right now, they're they're maybe in a little bit different order, but for the same, you know, we're talking about like the same 35 to 40 guys in every single mock draft. So the same media people that are crushing the NFL for missing on first round picks, like they're going to be wrong. I mean, if if you're not doing it different in the in the mock draft stuff, you're going to be you're going to be you're going to be wrong a bunch. Um so anyway, just to just observations I've had over the years uh, working in the NFL. And the NFL does – I'm not defending those guys. They miss. I've been a part of teams that shoot one year in, in Kansas City. We drafted John Baldwin in the first round. So um, <laughs> I've been a part of I've been a, I've been a part of my misses. But um, there's just some interesting stuff, like in the whole mock dynamics, man. It's interesting. Um, I, had, I had two follow-ups on that because there is a guy I put in my first-round mock draft that is, I don't think is getting mocked, and he did go to the Senior Bowl. Um, but really quick, I taught – did you ever do this as a scout um, – Someone told me recently that he doesn't uh, – one of the evaluators in the NFL doesn't actually know the players' names. He only knows them by their uh, school code and number. So he'll be like, hey, that uh, TXUN number five or uh, TNUN, that's, that's, that's <laughs> Dude, the Hendon four, Hooker. The four that's letter Tennessee code. University. I can't right? do that. I can't. Like, so you I do the state first. Yeah. But this, is, this is like an understood for – for our listeners, that's an understood code – Right, where how you identify teams. So Tennessee is T N U N, and Hendon Hooker would be number five. Right. So this person would be like, "Hey, did you see uh, T N U N five? And uh, I love the way he throws the ball. Good zip. Got this and that. Um, and, and, it, and so you avoid bias, right? I don't know, you know. Oh, that's Hendon Hooker, Heisman finalist, or you know, all that stuff. Did you ever? Is, is that how you operated where you were anywhere? Or did you see that anywhere else around the league? Not to that extreme, and I've never heard that. I've never worked with anyone that Good. referred to players like that. Uh, you know, I'm that. sure there's some guys no. that are, are uh, you know, go to that extreme. I didn't, but I did. You know, what, what would happen is even here, um, like I, I don't look at any, like if I'm scrolling Twitter and people are putting out like way too early 2024 stuff, I don't pay any attention no, to can't. it until yeah. until we get through the guy's work in the, in the, in the off season. And then I'm like, okay, then at the end of the summer, I can kind of go through and see where guys are. But 
But no, that's an extreme to not know a guy's name. And we're going through the draft process saying like, you know, OHST 79 for Dewan Jones or whatever. I mean, that's, 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 that's a little the, weird. Yeah. That like, I can kind of get on board at the idea of like not doing the names and just saying, you know, right tackle from Ohio state, whatever, number 79, I, maybe, maybe you could bring me on board with that. The four digit, like, database code though i can't no i'm not, not well then my other that. my other friend in the league just uses the school like when we, we know we're always talking quarterbacks he's like ah oh, tennessee tennessee's got it you know he throws a good ball that i can get florida by. can really that run happens it you a know? lot that yeah. guys do that a ton you just name yeah, them by the say, school just say the school for yeah. sure all right so you mentioned dewan jones uh he's always been one of my favorites in this class just an absolute monster the other guy that i wanted to mention john michael schmitz i put him in the first round the other day the center from minnesota gave him to the giants at 25 I feel like from a production standpoint, John Michael Schmitz is as good as we've seen at the center position, right up there with Tyler Linderbaum, with Frank Ragnow over the years, but he didn't test as well as some of the other top interior linemen uh, over the last couple of years. What are your thoughts on those couple offensive linemen that have, uh, and John Michael Schmitz also our highest grade during the senior bowl, pass protection and run blocking. So we, uh, we, we saw a very good performance from him during practice. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with DeWan, man. Like, he's had a weird process because he came down to mobile and just like put on a show day one um and was dominant and i, I know i i posted a clip that got i mean ridiculous try like ten thousand likes on social something crazy um you know he's got the rare stuff i mean he's got he's got the seven five wingspan and he's got basketball player feet and you know if he just is patient in his pass sets you can't get around the guy yep. you're certainly not going through him he's 380 some pounds so he had a great day and then got an injury and couldn't finish out the week and then just hasn't done a lot the rest of the process i know at the ohio state pro day um, he turned off some teams by not going through the workout paris johnson did not a phenomenal workout um so that doesn't help when there's a guy in your same position group that that goes and a guy that's projected as first round pick so um you know, I'll be curious to see where it all lands. I think talent-wise, he is an immediate starting right tackle in the league. You know, talent-wise should go at the back end of the first round, you know, somewhere in that 25 to, to 35 range. I think that's probably where he slots. Um, you know, I think the Orlando Brown comparison is, is a pretty easy one. I don't think you need to look much further than that. And he's, he's you know, he's a better athlete. And Orlando's been a great player and had a great career. So um, it'll be interesting to see where Dewan ends up. And then uh, – but John Michael Schmitz, I was thinking about it on the on the drive to work today. Like, he he's one of the cleanest prospects in the entire draft. Like, this is the yeah. time of year where you know everyone in the media and everyone at the teams like this is hole poking season, right? Like, we're all yeah. just trying to poke holes and find little flaws in these guys. Well, what doesn't he do, or what can he do? Um, like, I mean, John Michael Schmitz. Yeah, he didn't. He wasn't an elite tester. He didn't. He didn't test as well as like you know Creed Humphrey did a couple years ago, who we had in the Senior Bowl and is you know a stud. Um, but it wasn't terrible. Like if you look at the RAS stuff that that our guy Math Bomb puts out, I mean, it was a it was a decent athletic score, seven point something. I mean, it wasn't bad. Uh, but you just go to his tape, and you, you go to his tape, you go to the durability. He played in a million straight games. Um, I would go back if you didn't think he was quite the athlete or tester you thought. Well, go back and watch him. You know, get out, watch the initial quickness, watch the lateral quickness, watch him reach. Yes. Um, I'm getting ready to post like this clip of him, like on reach blocks during senior bowl. Show like, his reach blocks. He can do that stuff. In, he, that's it. Jim. He can do that stuff in his sleep. Thank you. So I, I am a I mean, sucker. I'm a sucker for a good reach block by a center. I've been burned by it before, but, um, it's okay. I'm no, a sucker for it. And he was so good at it at the senior bowl in particular, you know, and just, and I'll, I'll speak to the, to the, to the person, man. Like he, 
every time I saw him senior bowl week, he had a smile on his face. He, he appreciated the process. He loved being here. He's crushing the interview stuff. He's so good mentally. Like you talk about a guy that you're going to be like plug in year one and he's going to be able to handle everything. You know, he's going to be able to take it over from the quarterback. If you, if you need him to, if you're a team that needs him to like take some stuff off the quarterback's plate, you're going to be able to do that his rookie year. So to me, if you're in the twenties, you're drafting a two contract starter in what, what more of a slam dunk first round pick is that? So Confirmed. I think he's, I think he's going to be, you know, one of the top tier centers in the league. So you were telling us before um, the show that you think this running back group isn't getting nearly enough love. We, we haven't talked enough about running backs ourselves in the show, but the entire focus has kind of been about, you know, Bijan Robinson, what a special pick or what a special prospect he is, how high could he go? And then you're hearing a little bit about a couple of other guys, but you're right, like the, the overall running back class, generally, I don't think is getting enough focus. And I think you can tie it back into free agency and why some of these guys, um, you know, like Kareem Hunt hasn't been signed. There's good, there's good NFL free agents that haven't been, you know, signed yet. And some of the guys that did, like Rashad Penny, really had to take. There's a lot of guys that had to take, you know, you know, deals that weren't lucrative deals. So, and I think that goes to this class. So, obviously, Bijan, um, I watched him yesterday or two days ago for the first time. Man, that dude is that dude is special. Yeah. Um, but I think that next wave, like I was at Jameer Gibbs Pro Day at Alabama. That guy, haven't watched a lot of his tape, but man, just off the workout, I mean, he's he he's got a ton to him. Tajay Spears is one of my favorites in this draft. Yep. Um, was our practice player of the week here in Mobile. Um, I think you could put a highlight reel together of, of Tajay, and it might be the best highlight highlight reel in this entire draft it's class. Insane. So. Um, and then you work down the list, the Roshan Johnsons from Texas. I think he's getting really undervalued right now. There's teams that have him in the second round. You know, the Chase Browns from Illinois, Zach Charbonnet. I mean, there's you can go on and on and on. This, this is a it's a really good class, man. You're going to like last year with Damian Pierce going in the fourth round of the Houston Texans, um, which if he doesn't get hurt, he goes over a thousand yards. He's going to be their guy for years to come. That's incredible value in the fourth round to get a Damian Pierce. And there's going to be running backs in this class that are, are similar talent to Damian that are going to be staring at teams in that, you know, that top of day three when ESPN and NFL Network put the best available. Like there's going to be a bunch of runners, I think, in that in that group of players. And so we've asked this question to a lot of evaluators, former GMs, various people that have been on the show. So where do you stand when it comes to the positional value aspect? We've, we've seen running backs get paid less. We've seen fewer of them go in the first round. Bijan, of course, is the best prospect we've seen since X, whichever player you want to list, Saquon Barkley or Adrian Peterson, whatever you want to say. Um, either through your experience or your own opinion, is there a too high spot to pick a running back or are you just so locked in to this guy's a special player, give me the special player, I don't care if it's 10, I don't care if it's 15, 5. Where do you stand on running back value, picking them in the first round, and how you separate players and their value versus what the position brings to the table leading to wins? Yeah, I, I hate it for, for these players, guys. I mean, there's not a more physically demanding position on, on a football field, and they've been devalued the most. So I, I hate it for them. You know, I mean, I, I've spoken to some GMs that say when we draft a running back now, we just want to get one, one good contract out of them. Yeah. And if that's, if that's what we get, great. Um, then we'll go get a, a younger, cheaper guy. There, there's too many examples of, you know, uh, whether it be the Philip Lindsay's or the Austin Ecklers. I mean, there, there's been too many of these later guys you know, Elijah Mitchell, who was in the senior bowl a few years ago, went in the sixth round. I mean, you get good players late. So I hate it for the top, top guys. And I hate it for the guys in free agency. But if you're just breaking it down and digging into the data, I think it, it makes sense to maybe wait. 
but I'll say this, like when it comes to running back and I was lucky enough to be around a couple guys like this, to me, what makes them different, I think what makes Derrick Henry different um, is the, if they're tone setters, like if they bring, if they bring an identity to your football team and I got, I just defer back to my time in Seattle with Marshawn. I mean, there's, there's, there's value. There's added value to a running back that gives you an identity. And Marshawn was the identity of that football team, even with the Legion of Boom. Same. And, and there was a lot of talk in the offseason. I did some shows in Tennessee and they were talking about trading Derrick Henry and moving on from Derrick Henry. I said, you know what? Be careful there because like, he makes their defense tougher. He made Marshawn made the Legion of Boom defense tougher, a tougher defense. I think they all those players will admit that. So I think that to me, that's where you go a little bit above, you know, what you see on the tape in the actual talent. If they're a tone setter, if they bring an identity to your football team, I think there's a lot of value in that. Yeah, Marshawn, I mean, to me, there's always there's only been a handful of those running backs over the last 10 years that I think have that, right? I think Marshawn's certainly right. one of them. Derrick Henry certainly one of them. I think there's elements of, of Dalvin Cook right, when he's on. Not so much identity, but just you could see the value there where he could take over a game. But there's not many, and I think that's where the risk is. Bijan certainly could be could be that guy. Yeah. How, how much do you think that the value of running backs is being affected by we've almost seen like the death of the bell cow running back. Everybody's using a backfield by committee now. You know, you there's more space now for a bigger variety of body types, skill sets, all that kind of thing. Um, I, I wonder how much of that value being driven down is the fact that nobody – not that many teams anymore use the 300-plus carry guy who's going to be an every-down player, be your entire offense going forward. Now everybody's kind of doing it with a jigsaw puzzle of a backfield. I, I think I think you just nailed it right there. That's what it is. You get into you get into draft meetings, and and you know this this is the time of year where the scouting department will bring the coaches in into the product, you know, bring them into the fold, and you know the GM will ask you know the the offensive coordinator point blank like. How, what's the play snap percentage for this guy going to be, right? And then if it's only going to be, you know, 40%, well, then how high can we take that guy? So I think that's what it is. I do think where you see the guys being valued the most at that position are the guys that can flex and play some receiver. We're seeing it, you know, kind of the opposite with Debo. He's kind of the opposite of that. Um, but with the running backs, then you can, the Christian McCaffrey's, I just go back to remember watching him at the at the combine do the wide receiver drills. Yeah, you know, yeah. any of these runners in this year's class, I think we had one in Mobile and Kenny McIntosh from Georgia. You know, some of these guys that have legitimate wide receiver flexibility that can that can go out there and create a mismatch, then you maybe bump those guys up a little bit. But it's it's an interesting position, guys. I mean, we could we could go on and on. I mean, running back's a, a really interesting one right now when it comes to a value standpoint. I, I fell in love with Chris Evans, the Bengals running back at the Senior Bowl because of his one-on-ones. And I know yeah. poor linebackers are on an island in some of those one-on-ones, and they're you know kind of made to look bad. But Evans looked really good catching the ball, and I thought the Bengals had a you know have a find there. You know, and Evans catching the ball in the backfield. Um, so we're doing uh, we're ranking our cornerbacks tomorrow, but ge- general defensive backs. Overall, love watching those guys at the Senior Bowl. Love watching the one-on-ones, the interactions against some of the best receivers. Who are some of the de- uh, defensive backs who have stood out to you, especially throughout the Senior Bowl process? Well, we talked about Darius Rush from South Carolina a little bit. Um, Julius Brents is another guy from Kansas State. Was probably a, a really big riser um, coming out of the week. I think you know we had him in the fourth round coming into Senior Bowl week, and and there's always a bunch of guys that that show up here better than John Michael Schmitz showed up a little better than I thought he would during the week too. So there's always guys that that are 
they're, you know, they're usually not like way better than we thought, but there's, there's always a handful of guys that are, are definitely better than we thought. Julius being one of them. It's just, I mean, you talk about like rare stuff. I, I mean, he's got the longest wingspan, I think, of any corner since we started doing the wingspan measurement about 15 years ago. Um, and really where it stood out was the movement. I, I don't think anyone expected a guy that tall and that angular to be that efficient um, and, his, and fluid in his movements. Can I, so and competed his butt off. Really quick, can I add some context to that? Yeah. Uh, Julius Brents from Kansas State. So you mentioned 34-inch arms. That is 100th, 100th percentile. That is number one in our system. Uh, 4.05 20-yard shuttle. That is 89th percentile. And then the three cones, 6.63. 97th percentile for a guy that's six foot three or so, right? So uh, much like Tariq Woolen last year, there are no comps for this size, wingspan, movement skills. Ran a four five three, so a good forty, not great. Um, sorry, carry on about Julius Brents, but I just wanted to add some context. Like the work, the vertical jump, 97th percentile, broad jump, 100th percentile. The workout is off the charts. Yeah, eleven six broad, forty two whatever vert. Yep. Um, so that's where, yeah, we're talking rare, rare stuff. I, that's great context. I appreciate you jumping in. Again, here's another guy because we started him off, and we, like I said, we had him in the fourth. Um, but now that we have all the data in, like, why aren't we moving this guy up? Why isn't he being talked about as a first round pick? We've got, we've got mock drafts with corners that are 166 pounds in the first round, and we're not even sniffing Julius Brents in the first round. Like, lay off my guy. That, lay off my guy, Emmanuel make, Forbes, really quick. Lay off my guy. <laughs> Just, I'm just make that make sense and I'm not trying to pick on him but there's other guy I'm just saying Julius I just know like talking to teams like he really stood out I and mean, four five three is plenty good enough because when you're when you change direction that well and you and you take up that much much space with your length and again being around Richard Sherman for all the years I was man you put the ball in their vicinity it's hard to get you can't throw over them down yeah. the field you can't throw around them so I mean the four five three I mean, that's with the length factor. I mean, you can almost, I, I, it's not scientific, but you could you could probably shave a, a, a good number off that 40 time just based off the length. So he's a guy that stood out. I think some some guys in the safety group, I, don't, I think Sidney Brown is a, at the, the safety from Illinois has completely nailed this draft process. Another guy that he just kept getting better over the year. Like going into the year, I, I had him pigeonholed in my mind as kind of a box safety because he, he darts downhill and he, he'll shoot through the box and blow a guy up and he's all rocked up and you just look at the body type. And then you go through the year and he ends up with seven picks and whenever he's around the ball, he finishes on the ball. And then he comes down to the senior bowl and he gets matching one-on-ones and he moves really well and sticks with people. And then he goes to the combine and blows that out. And, and you know, at top of the top of the charts and all the testing, like that's a guy right now to me, like that guy's a, a, a day one starter. So, um, yeah, certainly a lot of guys in the DB crew that we're probably not talking about, the, the Sydneys, the Juliuses, uh, we probably should be talking about more. You said that um, it's not often that a guy shows up and he's just way better during the week of the Senior Bowl than you thought he was coming in. Can you, who, who are the sort of biggest outliers there during your time, the guys that showed up and were just much better than you thought they were going to be coming into the process? Um, I'll, I'll start with Quinn Miners from Whitewater. Um, I'll say this, that was the one time in five years where I've, I've completely went against the grain of what the NFL had on a player. Um, remember, that was the COVID year, so Division three canceled right. football. Yeah. So, where you know, you really had junior year tape. He had this – I mean, you thought you thought he had a belly during senior bowl week. Like, <laughs> it was it was double that on his junior tape at Whitewater. He had really toned himself up in the in the year. Um, but really, I had the benefit, man. I, I 
his agent did a great job. He was training down with Duke Mannyweather in Dallas with uh, Rayshon Slater. And the agent kept sending me videos of the two guys taking reps one after the other. And, you know, I knew what we thought of Rayshon. He was our top rated tackle that year above Penny Sewell. We loved both those guys. But, um, and then you're watching him rep and, and Quinn just like, wow, this, this doesn't look that far off. And you saw the body changing and everything. But still, there was a there was a hesitancy. Like, man, this guy's a, a Division three player. Like, what's this going to look like against you know guys from the SEC and the Big Ten? And in that year, all the team, like, the majority of the teams, there might have been a couple teams with seventh round, like glass half full grades on them. Uh, but most everyone had PFA grades. And when we get, we want to stay out of round six and seven at the Senior Bowl. We really want to stay like fifth round and higher. So if the league feedback is consistently sixes and sevens, we'll we'll usually pull off a guy like that. Um, but with Quinn, I just felt like we needed to bring him like the league needed to see that division three player against good competition. So he sticks out. Um, Terry McLaurin sticks out again. I've, I've raised my hand on that one. Like I love Terry. I mean, but we, we invited him greatly off his special teams tape, you know, watching him as a gunner, um, on punt team, you saw the speed, you saw the physicality, you saw the competitor. So that's where I really bought into Terry McLaurin. Did I think he was going to come down here and be uncoverable? I didn't. I didn't see that. Um, so those those two guys kind of stick out. Um, you know, I think we had Terry in the fifth round um, coming in a Senior Bowl week, and he ended up in the third. And now, in hindsight, he's a guy that should have went in the first round. Like, exactly. why did why did it take to the third round to take Terry McLaurin? I mean, he he wasn't even the first Ohio State receiver drafted that year. Right. Was Paris Campbell? Because I think everyone just stuck with the pre draft. You know, the pre process narratives. Paris Campbell was thrown way up there, and and Terry was down here, and um, I think there's there's a lot of examples of that. But but sorry to be long winded on that on that answer, Tim. Like I said, we have all day. You're the one who has to go, so I know you <laughs> you have a couple minutes here. But we love talking prospects, the process, and the whole thing. I want to I want to wrap up with this. Uh, when it comes to the Senior Bowl, you hinted at it a little bit. What's your goal, right? When you're looking at these players, is it to do a service for the league? for the players what are you trying to do when you get these players and what does success look like for you at the end of the day it's like hey we did well we hit on this or we can improve what what is that uh, what are those goals for you as director of the senior bowl uh yeah really i, I feel like I, I serve i serve two people two groups um in this role one i'm a steward of the city of mobile alabama um this game has been here we're gonna be we're going to be celebrating our 75th anniversary here next year. So th this game means everything to our community. I think you guys feel that when you come down here, the, the community takes a ton of pride in the Senior Bowl. So first and foremost, I, I serve the city of Mobile, and then I serve the 32 general managers, um, you know, in these 32 clubs. I, they've got they've got a lot. Those guys have a lot of responsibility to their clubs and, and to, to bring the right players down here. So is it always the best 120? Um, usually in most cases, um, but if they feel like they need to see a smaller school level player or, you know, uh, a bigger school player, even back in the day, like Jimmy Graham got a senior bowl invite and he was the third tight end that fall at Miami. I remember scouting him. Yeah. I think I was at the, with the Patriots at the time or, or the chiefs. So like they brought Jimmy to mobile and Jimmy had a great week, but the league needed to see Jimmy. He was the third tight end, you know, down there at Miami. So there's cases like that, that were maybe we don't truly stick to our board because we know the league needs to see them. Kind of like, you know, Tyson Badgett this year from Shepard. Like, the league, we could we have brought in Aiden O'Connell or, you know, Dorian Thompson-Robinson from UCLA? And those guys, we could have, but you know, the league needed to see Tyson Badgett, you know, from Shepard University, a Division II player, against against the best competition. So um, the goal, the end goal, guys, is just to get as many guys as we can get drafted. 
Um, you know, it's been 106 each of the last two years, kind of stuck on that number, but that was 40% of the entire draft class two years ago and during COVID and last year was 40% of the draft class. So, um, that's what that's, so we'll see, we'll see when we get, when we get to April, but that's, that's, that's really kind of the, the mission of, of what we try to do here. Well, we appreciate all your time, Jimmy. You are doing a great job down there at the Senior Bowl. I encourage all of our listeners, you know, make that an event. Go down to Mobile. Yeah. If you're an aspiring evaluator, uh, there are hundreds, almost maybe over a thousand people that are end up credentialed down there and covering it. So it is, uh, it is very friendly to media, future media, but also um, fan experience and everything that you guys do down there. Um, a lot of fun down in Mobile. So, Jim, we appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to do it again sometime. No, and thank you guys for having me on. Let me let me say this. Thank you for the partnership, guys. Like what having having PFF as a resource for us has been absolutely huge in our process. I probably should have said that from the get go. Um, this relationship like way predated me. I think it goes back to Phil Savage. I remember PFF being on the second floor of the hotel um, down here in Mobile, and you guys were trying to, you know, make your connections with the NFL teams. I think it's been a really a really cool relationship over the years. But but having the ultimate stuff and, and the ability to filter tape and and really streamline our process guys we, we we thank you a lot we we uh give you a ton of credit so thanks for having me on and uh would love to do it again yeah thanks again jim and yeah we appreciate the partnership as well as well it's been great so thanks so much thank you very much jim appreciate it man